Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by... This is Agnes. So we have a special situation today because Isabel is not with us, and we have our first ever guy on the Girl Taku channel. Yay! Sup? <laughs> Should we be clapping for this? <laughs> well, <laughs> should be fine. I mean, I am. And so, um, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> for sure. Thank you guys for having me on this episode. My name is Jack. I am the officially unofficial lead editor of Anime Trending. I, I think that's my title. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Yeah, it anyway. is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Um, so I have a background in journalism and editorial, and I grew up as a weeb, got bullied out of being a weeb, and then kind of picked that back up as soon as I started working here. Um, my second obsession, which is technically my primary obsession, but to all of you anime people, I will pretend that anime is my obsession. Um, my primary obsession is actually video games and video game narrative design. So that's, uh, that's my sort of normal day job that I do. And we are really excited to have him on to replace Isabel just for this week. Um, because uh, without further ado, the girl talking today will be about Yuri, Girls Love, Shoujo Eye, sort of that genre. Um, we had a topic like this prior for the boys, if you guys remember our Yaoi episode, or, you know, shortened to just be Yaoi episode. But it is only fair for us to cover the girls section as well, specifically in that regard and i will have to say jack is our resident expert so that is why he (laughs) is here to start us off we're gonna have agnes uh give us some terminology again agnes you want to blow our minds with some definitions like you did last time (laughs) uh the the yaoi segment was really interesting because there was a lot of information that i did not know um and so for today's episode we have the yuri terminology which is also a very Fascinating piece of history. I'm sorry, I'm going to go off on a rant at this point. So what is Yuri? So Yuri and Yuriism literally translates to, in Japanese, the, the term for a flower, the, specifically the lily, the lily flower. And it originated from actually a gay male's magazine called Barazoko as a column for lesbians. The column was specifically known as Yurizoko no Heya, or, or translated to the Lily Tribe's Room. And as a result, because this column existed in a gay man's um, magazine, it, the term for the Yurizoko, or Yuri, would be flagged as a term used for a lesbian woman, and would be juxtaposed against the bara, or the rose, which represents the gay men. However, between the 1880, uh, the 1980s and the 1990s, the genre of yuri would become very associated with pornography and within the dojin industry and primarily written by men, which becomes a little bit more problematic as yuri tries to develop into the more modern age and trying to be more inclusive towards uh, women who are closeted, uh, op- closeted or openly lesbian or perhaps queer. Uh, so around like later in the 2000s, it was decided at the Yurikon in Tokyo that Yuri would now be relabeled as an encompassing genre that describes women with deep relationships. Uh, and this can range in both romantic and platonic relationships and to just generally represent femininity, womanhood, and the lesbian genre in literature, manga, and anime, even though uh, lesbian literature has existed in Japan for much longer, before even the 2000s. Anything that is 
under the label of yuri can uh, include both non-explicit or explicit content, but it should be more encompassing. So with that note, people are trying, probably like, well, what about girls' love? Like, where does that fall into? Because that's kind of like the equivalent to boys' love, right? So in really, in reality, girls' love does exist. It was an analogous term to the boys' love that was being used in Japan at the time as a reactionary defense against the pornographic yuri, but it has now become more exchangeable with yuri. Uh, both of them are very focused on the idea of spiritual and emotional connection between women and talking about homosociality rather than actual erotica. So it's a very interesting. And then the last bit, I do want to correct myself for this because I mentioned this in the Yaoi podcast that Shoujo Ai talks about non-romantic implications between two females, uh, which is similar to what Shonen Ai would represent. However, Shoujo Ai doesn't actually exist in Japanese media. Oh, it's actually a Western term. It was a Western term that was coined after the invention of the shonen eye because they wanted to kind of like the Westerners wanted to see yuri and like non um, romantic female implications like separate. But shoujo eye has never been used in Japan as an official term. They use more girls' love or yuri straight up, and shoujo eye actually is problematic in itself because it describes an already existing content about underage girls with elderly men. So, oh, uh, very hot topic. This is why, like, shoujo eye, you'll see, like, shoujo eye being used in a lot of tags for, <laughs> yeah, exactly, in, like, manga websites and stuff, but no one in Japan calls it shoujo eye. So it's very, like, controversial. It's, the Japanese people will recognize if you're trying to use it to describe Yuriism, but no one will really say anything. I think this whole thing is fascinating. I, like, it's, it's kind of sad in a way because it started off as something actually marketed towards lesbian women and, right, you know, yeah. for the LGBTQ community. And then essentially, like, I feel bad for saying this, but the straight people just swept it and, like, took it no, in exactly. their own yeah. mood. And so, <laughs> Every time. I feel like it's a little different from our male counterpart because in our male counterpart, you know, Agnes, you made it clear that from the very beginning, it was sort of written for straight people and it eventually became molded more and more to represent LGBTQ people, especially with Bada for one of the genres. But like with this starting out specifically towards lesbian people and then for it to essentially appeal more towards men later is just ah oh, that's so frustrating i don't know like I'm it's really frustrating yeah i knew a lot of people who were in like lgbtq studies and they would talk a lot about how lesbianism in general was marketed a lot as kind of like the the ntr or like the threesome genres entering into the pornographic is industry instead of actually portraying like content just between women and it was more so appealing to the male fantasy of like having two women go at it with each other, which is actually fairly disturbing. <laughs> uh, Jack, uh, why don't you tell us... Definitely as, fetishized. Uh, as, like, our resident, you know, uh, as our resident expert in this regard, or at least a number one fan <laughs> in, our, in our community, personally, oh. um, why don't you tell us, you know, how did you get into... Uh, how did you get into the genre as a whole? And, you know, did you even know about this, that it used to be very much, like, marketed <laughs> for lesbian people and then once again straight people just snatched it up for themselves and stuff like you know <laughs> it's always the straights isn't it Gracie um so, so first off I'd like to say that if you've never seen my name on discord I don't talk in discord but I'm in the anime trending discord if you were curious and if you check my nickname is resident Yuri Shipper 
That's like the whole reason why <laughs> I exist <laughs> as I do on this podcast. So I'll just clarify that now. So I did not know like any of this history. Like I knew that it translated to the word lily. I know the terminology. Knew nothing about shoujo. I and I. I wish I didn't now because I hate everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in and again, I lost sort of a lot of my anime knowledge for the past 10 years for various reasons. So coming from a more Western point of view in seeing Western media, lesbianism being a fetish is not surprising to me. Mm-hmm. That seems very no- that is very normal in sort of this American culture that the, we know Um and it's not surprising at all. It's really disappointing, actually, <laughs> that it started as something, was reclaimed into something else, and then is re-reclaimed now-ish, and is still, you know, being done now. Like, I, I'm shocked and also happy that it's turning back around. I don't know how to, like... He's yeah. <laughs> using a lot of hand shook, movements re- like, to show I'm doing, it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm using a lot of hand movements and kind of, like, wiggling my hands around, like, I, I don't understand what's going on because I don't like that's impressive that something started that way then was taken away and then you kind of pull it back into an attempt to make it your own again and I think that happens a lot in queer media and I'll you know I'll get to your actual question which was how did I get into it um, but I myself I, I identify as queer right mm-hmm. so my whole spiel with wanting to just look at media and look at anime and manga in general I want to find queer stories Mm -hmm. and that kind of started me with yuri i have had a bad experience with yaoi as a kid so i kind of avoided that at first and i was like we're just gonna go to girls because they're cute and i can find gay things with like (laughs) that literally like i will it's like i'm not sugarcoating it literally that was my thought process i was like girls are cute let's do that um yeah like that's how it started and it's funny because i had been working at anime trending for like a year and I think someone, I don't know why you would start me with this, but someone mentioned Citrus first. So we started with that one, and then I moved on to more, because <laughs> I needed something else mm-hmm. to test my palate, <laughs> so to speak. And I was like, oh, good. There's other things in this genre that I can be happy about. Uh, yeah, so that's how I started with Yuri. Like, and also, no knocks against people who like Citrus. It is, it, I, I, I read the whole manga. Like, I got through it. It was what it is. It is what it be. <laughs> and that's that's all I have to say about it. Like, we could talk about it more. But that's all I have to say about that one. I'm just like, I, I wanted more. And I think that that's what's cool about Japanese media is that there's a lot more. And again, apologies for continuing to bring my Americanness into this. But there's there's like a lot to be desired from American media in terms of not even just Yuri type or girls love stuff. But in terms of any type of queer representation in our media. So an interesting thing that uh, you pointed out was you had a bad experience with Yaoi, so our male counterpart, the male counterpart side. What was it that was like that bad experience, if you could share that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, Let's see. So it was, so this was one of the first anime I watched. And it's funny because when I interviewed at Viz Media, this is the exact story I told them. But... I told the interviewer, I was like, one of the first anime I watched as a kid was Gravitation, which is 
if I remember correctly, and I didn't look it up recently because I don't want to remember if I remembered it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it's about, I think it's like a pop star and his manager or something. But anyway, the pop star is this hot, older man-looking person. And then the other one is obviously the younger boy-looking one who doesn't mm. really look like a boy, but he looks like a girl. Mm. And then you're just like, is there an age gap? I don't remember if there was an age gap. Again, I didn't want to look up the details, but I remembered watching that. <laughs> And I clearly remember, like, my dad was in the room, and he was like, why are those two boys oh. kissing? And I was like, I don't know. Oh, no. I'm, I don't know. I'm, like, seven, eight, maybe? I don't remember. But, like, I'm young, and that happens. And then I watch the rest of the anime, and I'm like, what is going on with this? This completely ruins any perception of what romance should be. Like, that, that's kind of what happened with me. Like, I associated, ended up associating Yaoi with a type of toxic romance that I didn't want to see in my media anymore. And... If, you know, if people have suggestions for me for good boys love, please let me know. Because I, again, I avoid delving into that tag for that reason. And like, the more I had heard about it from other people, they always kind of tell me the same things. It's like, you know, like that whole joke where we all talk about the yaoi hands like 10 years ago. Like that is one of the things that always comes up. And then, yeah, it's just... Yeah. It's what you said is accurate because um in our in our episode where we did dive into it, mm-hmm. I think Agnes, Isabel, and I saw so all three of us basically said that we were not comfortable with the fandom and we weren't comfortable right. with the genre because of these things. But uh, luckily, in a similar, I guess, in a different vein, because in Yuri's case, it's sort of like they're reclaiming where they once were. If specifically mm-hmm. for Yaoi, it's more like there has been a shift more towards like more and more genuine relationship building mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And as well as fangirls within the community who even call out the hypocrisy because I, I I mentioned it in that episode, but I was like once upon a time, you know, in in a episode clip where rape clearly happens, we have all these girls in the YouTube comments being like, oh, this is so hot, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, fast forward to now and two years ago, I think I somehow ran into that clip again. And believe it or not, it's the same clip because I can tell from the age that it's that exact same clip. But the comments now have been completely replaced with, hey, non, this is really toxic and really wrong and this should not be romanticized. And so that was a big sign to me that things are changing and specifically the genre and the community is changing. But I can totally see why that like um, that really put you off because that put me off, too, as a kid as well. And so and it's sort of like I'm reentering it now because of the fact that things have changed. But we are here to talk about anime, actually, because why would we have a girl talking podcast if we're not talking about anime? So, um, so you mentioned Citrus already. Anime. So- <laughs> Dropped it there just for you. <laughs> um, you mentioned Citrus already. Uh, Agnes, did you watch that anime? I did not, but I saw a lot of content online and on YouTube. And I decided not to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Oh. I was like, mm, <laughs> I think that's if fair. This is, if this is going to be some non-con stuff like how we'd see in Yaoi, I don't think it's something I would yeah. want to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, I like so I've watched so much anime now that I can sort of get vibes of what the story is going to be like from the posters. And yep. I saw the posters and I was like, I'm not getting good vibes from this poster. So I also didn't touch it, but it seems like, <laughs> thank goodness we have Jack today because he definitely has. And uh, something yep. to note is Citrus was at 
first quite popular on our community charts. A lot of people voted for it. Really? And then it slowly started to descend down the charts uh, and then yeah. left the top 10. So I'm assuming it reached a point where people were like, never mind, this is no longer interesting. So with that, uh, you know, chart, uh, with that chart history in mind in context mm-hmm. to our anime trending, like what are your thoughts about that particular piece of story? Yeah, so again, I gave it an extra chance by reading through the manga, and I. Th- so I'll I'll start off with this. So I would say the anime is kind of the act one of the actual story. Okay. Act one, to me, sorry if you like it, freaking sucks because <laughs> for for a, a myriad of reasons, like. Oh my god, <laughs> this makes me mad. So the the after act one, I can ish kind of assure you that it kind of just becomes a slow burn romance. Okay. Much more normal. Okay. But like still with the inherent problematic part of them being step siblings. But like it's it it turns into like this weirdly slow burny romance sequence. The ending of the manga, spoilers if you care, the ending of the manga has this whole like get back your girl sequence that you would see in a romantic comedy mm, okay. or a romantic drama where like I, what's her name? May gets locked into a like a arranged marriage thing, and then Yuzu's like, "Oh, I gotta go save." I she get she like rounds up the whole squad and saves her from getting an arranged marriage, and I thought it was really cute. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the anime. The anime is Act One. Um, I forgot the they were step siblings until you mentioned. Oh no! <laughs> I thought that you remembered that that was the main problem of this anime. So. I'll do a quick recap. Citrus feels like the type of story that you chose a taboo and then you decided to double down on any taboo you could find. That's what that's what the that's what it feels like. Um, the art's really good, but I'm just like it's just you you did the sexualization fetish, fetishization thing about lesbians. So I'm assuming that you started with oh let's do a step sibling romance. Cool. That that's very normal in Harlequin romances. I can tell you that as someone who is worked on Harlequin romances <laughs> and had to like freaking adapt them into video games. So you start with step siblings. Cool, whatever. We psh, Western media does that all the time. And then you took lesbians because that's still technically taboo, I guess, to some people. And they're like, okay, let's make it sexy and do sexy lesbians. And then you decided to make May terrible for the first for the first act, actually, I was going to say the first half of the anime, but I don't think she I don't remember her getting better within the sequence. So to be honest, the whole chart sliding, I think that that happened because some of the taboo lightened up toward the middle of the series. So you start with that very non-con everything that May is, um, and then she kind of chills out a lot. She chills out to like at a point of like, not reacting to things, not, like, actively bullying Yuzu. So I think that that might be where <laughs> the charts slid, because I guess, you know, if you're, it, to be fair, if you're going into that show and you want to see that type of content, right? then you get it. You get that for the first, I don't remember, but, like, three to four episodes. You get exactly what you want. You get the taboo, you get the non-con stuff, and you kind of get a very problematic, but leaning into it type of problematic story. Mm-hmm. If that's what you wanted, then it, it worked for that amount of time. And then it kind of, again, it lightens up into 
weird romance drama with like a love triangle with like a, a love pentagon like a there's just <laughs> it it ended up being a lot and then it it turned from taboo story into a lot of just kind of all of your general romance tropes mm-hmm. and then it culminated into them actually getting together again spoiler <laughs> into them getting together as you expect and then i was like really that's where the anime ends and then that's why i read the manga because i was like that was not satisfying at all it wasn't a satisfying ride i i finished it to finish it i that was the first anime i'd watched in a long time and i still question why that was the first one that i ended up watching in a long time <laughs> so it's interesting because i actually do think you're accurate in your assessment as to why it fell down the charts because i can list off of anime very quickly off the top of my head that fell down the charts as the series oh, continued God. where they have become more and more like for lack of a better term vanilla right uh, for right. example jobless reincarnation which we will mention that in another episode later that we have planned sure. but a jobless reincarnation while it never like slipped to like off the top 10 near the end of the first core it did start to slip a bit in our charts and the reason why was because they started to back off more and more Mm, on the in my opinion very problematic pedophilia thoughts that the protagonist has and they started to focus more on world building you know like these are the lands these are the languages these are the cultures between the lands and it's the isekai part yeah here's the isekai part (laughs) and funnily enough it started to drop on the charts which is also ironically when i started to enjoy the anime more <laughs> but it's like uh but it started to drop because people came in with the conce- uh, conception that hey this is our main character is scum right. so now that he becomes more and more normal and less of a scum they're like well now it's boring like now it's not unique and stuff like that so i can totally see how citrus like starting off with all those taboo stuff people are like ooh, spicy you know <laughs> like that's right yeah but then it's like when it becomes more and more normal and like in, in your case more acceptable for you that's when people are like Thank well God, now yeah. it's boring you know now <laughs> there's nothing going for it so um sure. so i guess like at the end of the day was citrus just disappointing to you or were there stuff in there that you genuinely just found problematic i mean step siblings aside because we're not going to talk about that we know japan has a weird thing about incest so yeah 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 i mean it was it's it's really just kind of the characterization of may at the beginning of the story and again i haven't seen this in a while i don't want to go back to it i don't want to go back to it to refresh my memory or anything though i suppose i should have for accuracy's sake but at the beginning of the story she is super problematic she straight up pins her stepsister to the floor and kisses her in the first episode i think if not like the first chapter Mm -hmm. like that's that sets the tone for the story you're getting they're step siblings it is wrong that like that you shouldn't do that obviously that that is on so many levels is terrible and that is definitely the biggest qualm i had with it where it's just like there's also one of the supporting casts i absolutely hate this character okay uh I don't remember what her name is, but she's the one that causes a lot of problems and wears earphones. People who watch this anime know who I'm talking about, but I really hate <laughs> that character. Um, because one of the main things is that she does a lot of terrible things to the, like, once the the siblings finally figure something out, like, something slightly better out, sh- this character is introduced and comes in and becomes kind of like a home wrecker, but not really, because she's not really, she is into, ah, God, it's so confusing. Anyway, this character does a lot of terrible things that she knows is wrong and she's like admittedly wrong with that 
Um, but in my opinion, she gets a redemption bit that doesn't that doesn't feel warranted. So they kind of okayed a lot of her actions, and it's like really extreme forms of bullying, in my opinion. And I see. Yeah. Oh uh, God. And then in the uh, sort of follow up manga Citrus Plus, which exists, yes, and I did read it for a while, and then I dropped it because they were giving this character that redemption even more so. Like they gave her a sad backstory, and I was like, nope, I you cannot give me this. You cannot give this girl. A, sad backstory to make me feel better about her like this is just that's not okay like it was it was very yeah i don't know it was just it didn't feel okay all of her actions were just not okay to me and that's kind of the feeling i have with citrus where i'm just like like i'll it's like i'll take not i won't take step with siblings that sounds weird i'll take the show as it is but a lot of the things just make me feel like icky about it I see, I see. And Agnes, you said like when you watch the YouTube clips, you just like you just didn't like what you see. Do you exactly remember what it was that you saw that you were like, no, I'm not gonna touch this anime? I guess it was just the art in general, what a lot of people on in the internet were talking about, a lot of like non-con content. And for some reason it gave me a lot of like very yaoi vibes at the same time. And oh, at that's listening a even way more to describe it. Yeah. As. Listening even more to Jack explaining like about transplanted how transplanted like, yaoi on top of <laughs> Sorry, it's, that's true. It's like Oh. It's really interesting because, like, people will try to juxtapose, like, Yuri and Yaoi are different, but when it comes to, like, the toxic content, it's basically the same thing. Mm, it's yeah. all pornographic, toxic content, non-consensual, and very harmful to people who are trying to, like, be, and you know trying to find out who they're queer. Yeah. And you know it's hitting particular audience. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's it's aimed toward... The other side, I guess, is how you would say it. It's aimed yeah. toward the straights trying to consume that content. And again, there's there's nothing wrong with, like, I don't know, straights wanting to watch queer media. But, like, when it's framed in a certain way that makes all queer people, and I'm using all too broadly, but bear with me, all people like that, then that's where it creates the problem, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's, that's yes. what causes it to be a problem. Yeah, because in the yaoi community, you have a lot of that, of like, girls shipping guys who are, like, let's say, like, the typical, like, enemy versus enemy in the yaoi community, right? And clearly, these guys, it's not even yaoi, it's just maybe in an action anime or something, but girls would clearly like the fact that they're a bit of, like, in that abusive relationship, and I'm just like, no... That should not be happening, guys. Literally should not be happening. And the same thing goes for, like, Citrus in that case, too, where, like, a lot of the characters are very toxic to each other. And they try to circumvent the story so that it's... They try to, like, bandage it up, saying, like, oh, it's a nice story now. You know, everyone has a sad backstory. It validates... I hate using the word valid, by the way. It ticks me off. <laughs> but it validates, like, a character's That's arc valid. and why they're like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We, said th- I, we did this joke with Medi I think, oh, like, two weeks ago shoot. and Medi said the exact same thing and I wrote back to him like I know you were joking and I laughed but I think my blood pressure just spiked <laughs> just a little bit but yeah that one's for you, it, like, <laughs> our, our other resident Yuri shipper at this rate right you both you and Medi but yeah it tries to bring like a, a levitate like a back a really sad backstory for the characters so you make you sympathize with them but at the same time it's like if the character has so much of a bad backstory they can become a better person there are ways to become a better person you don't have to be i'm sorry i'm going to use this word you don't have to be a dick about it right <laughs> i'm going to timestamp that no i think but that word is fine be... probably that's not a curse word right okay. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, it is some, a some vulgar place... word i don't think it's t- a profanity technically 
Yeah, it's probably just folded. But some places, some people do like censor it. So it just depends on the content that you're delivering. Uh, I think I'll leave it in. Okay, but come here. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like you don't have to be such a dick about it and bully people into submission. (laughs) You know what? But yeah, that's that's just my thoughts. You know what you said is reminding me of is some. It it just remind me of how um, there's a lot of people who ship Izaya and uh, Shizuo from Durarara, and and it's like for me, it's like those like the anime and the light novel series makes it very very clear those two genuinely hate each other. Like there is nothing else but hate between those two, and so. Um, and but the amount of people who like actively ship them really, really, really romantically has all that like that's what it reminds me of when you were saying how like they just want to pair two people together and see it because it's like a dynamic they want to see like sort of thing. But that's not our topic, so I'm not going to go much further into that. The good news is while Citrus might not have done the best job with or not might have not done a good job, <laughs> a good job even <laughs> with their characters and their story, we did get an anime. And, and in fact, in the same year that Banana Fish came out, actually, um, but um, an anime where they did utilize the characters' backstories to create a very compelling romantic arc for the characters that is unfortunately incomplete and I don't know if the anime is going to continue but it's called Bloom Into You and um, I personally loved that anime. I got good vibes when I saw the poster <laughs> so like I said I, I, this is how you know you watch too much. You look at the poster and you're like I get good vibes from it <laughs> and so um, but I saw the poster and I got good vibes and my instincts were right. That was just a gorgeously told love story that um that's very complicated for sure but complex in all the right angles and all the right variables in regards to their characters and how their past and what they're seeking is feeds into their motivation that ultimately entwines them in this romantic romantic story and so and so i'm really glad we got that and it's insane that 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 was the next anime after Citrus. So we went from Citrus, which arguably is quite low in regards to quality, into something that's extraordinarily high. And so we just got quite a bit of a jump. But I know you've seen that. Uh, (laughs) You've seen that anime, Jack. But You know uh, I've seen it multiple times, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what about you, Read the manga multiple times. Yes, hit me with it. I started talking to Jack more about Bloom Into You because I was, so for context, I was writing a story on the side that, and I wanted to feature like uh, a lesbian couple or a couple that was queer. So I asked Jack, I'm like, okay, hit me some recommendations. I don't care what it is. Just hit me with some media. And the first thing Jack was like, Bloom Into You. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right, that's fair. That's fair. I know everyone loves it. I'm going to go read it. I didn't have a chance to watch the anime because I did, I was, uh, manga is much easier for me to read while I was at work. And this was, I was reading this before the manga site got shut down, so I haven't caught back up with it yet. But it's a fantastic story. It is absolutely fantastic. So many nuances that you really have to look into and really appreciate it from so many different levels. So, Jack, this was the story you were looking for in queer media, yes, essentially. It was. Okay, why, what was it that, because I think objective, <laughs> I think objectively, anyone who's seen the anime will say that it has all the check marks in the right spot, whether it's art yes. direction, voice acting, script, dialogue, you know, story, characters, et cetera, et cetera. It's just objectively easy to see. But specifically for you, since you are part of the LGBTQ uh, uh, 
plus letters that I don't remember. I'm so sorry. They keep adding letters. But since you are. Okay, Q plus is perfect. (laughs) But. (laughs) Q plus. It's it's good. But, like, since you are very much part of this community, what Mm. is it about Bloomin' to You that, like, feeds into this queer media that you are really looking for? And what do you think it, Mm -hmm. it tells you of Yuri as a genre, you know? Yeah, so. First off, I'll start off with this, where it's not only my favorite Yuri story of all time, it's one of it's probably tied with my favorite anime of all time, which is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And yes! probably okay. also my <laughs> and it's probably also my <laughs> my tied with my favorite manga of all time, which is also Full Metal Alchemist. Yes! So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Lady Taka's greatest points. Right. So Full then, Metal Alchemist. So you, you can see that it already for me it hits a really high standard of story plus characters plus plot plus everything. Um, and I think in a really important thing to know about Bloom Into You is that, in my opinion, if you like a good romance, a good dramatic romance story with really good characters, and it doesn't even really matter that it's a gay story, it's a really, really good romance story. And the, the main reason why I love it so much is because the characters feel so relatable. Um, I've, I've also just been... So this is going to be a fun comparison because I've been watching Kramer this season. I'm actually watching anime this season, y'all. So I've been watching Kramer this season, and that is how high school girls act. That is correct. That is chaotic, and apologize if this is not okay, but those are chaotic dumbasses, and that's how high school girls act. That's correct. Bloom Into You is accurate in the sense that that is how we feel on the inside when all of these types of emotions and feelings and everything comes over us, but those are really mature high school girls. I don't think I know a high school girl <laughs> like you or Toko. That's way too mature. Nonetheless, that over. They feel so relatable in a lot of ways where you can see yourself in either character. Like, you can go ahead and look at my Discord profile as this episode goes up and my profile picture will probably still be you, which is who is one of the main characters of the anime. And they feel real because... For example, like the the relationship does start off fairly toxic. Like a lot of people don't like Toko across the anime or across even the manga's arc because of how she acts and how she kind of coerces, kind of, but also it's used it's in used personality coerces her into a relationship, um, and she falls in love, quote unquote, for the wrong reasons. Right? Like you start off a character like that, and you're like, oh, oh, okay. You, you get some bad, you can get some bad vibes from her, but I think that that's done correctly because it's done respectfully. She continues to grow throughout the course of the story, and I think that's kind of the most important part of this kind of story. If, you, if you're if you starting off, it's not even that low, but it's like if you're starting off on the wrong foot, that's exactly how you want the story to go. You want these two to have exactly what they want. Like they, they know what they want, or they think they know what they want, and as the story goes on, they keep learning through each other to find out what it really is, what it means to be in love, what it means to be a teenager growing into adult who is trying to fall in love or all of that. And it, it deals with a lot of societal norms that I think a lot of people would relate to super well. Um, God, I could go on about Bloom Into You more, but I should probably just let you guys have your piece too. <laughs> For me personally is I actually think Tolkol is one of the most fascinating characters in the story and I really appreciated oh, her as a character. And I do want to say that I do think there is a clear difference between a sort of the not so great foot that these two started off with and compared to other ones that we see in media because 
The thing is, we do see it through Yu's POV a lot. She is the main character. And I did feel enough confidence and certainty from her that she could step away if she wants to. Because the other, the big problem, and I really mean the big problem with a lot of the other stories, is that the girl who gets kind of coerced, whether it's manipulated or forced into this relationship, I feel like they don't have enough agency. Like, I, I feel like they would be trapped and they actually wouldn't know where to draw the line and be like I don't feel okay about this and I feel like they would just keep moving the line you know sort of thing and genuinely be trapped into a toxic relationship but you is you has so much agency as like a character for herself like she is searching for herself but at the same time knows enough about herself to know her limitations and her strengths that I it was in a weird way like I wasn't worried about her because I'm like I know that if it reaches a point where she genuinely like was no longer comfortable she would be like that's like you know I feel confident in her to be able to just be like okay that's it I I'm really stepping out now because this is like this won't like it passes that line and so that's at least that's the vibes I got from her from the first season because I know the story goes on for much longer afterwards but um, but so that good. did the, the wrong foot, quote unquote, per se, felt less of a wrong foot, less of a dangerous foot, I guess, is the best way I could right. put it. In, I think the way that I would interpret that is it's it's less of a wrong foot because it's like these are it, it does feel like more idiot high schoolers. Not to excuse that. But again, that's where I feel like it, it really feels realistic, where you know that Toko genuinely she genuinely hates herself, right? And yeah. she kind of projects that by trying to be this perfect person. And she does project a lot of that hatred, you know, just because of how she acts onto other people. And it does hurt other people. But I think especially what makes it great is that she she does own up to a lot of it. And like she she has obviously one particular reason, place where she won't let you in or won't let you fix that, I guess, if you want to say the word fix. But everything that she does in bloom into you is you know revolves around that selfish sense of self but she is she does work on it i think is kind of the biggest character development for her which makes me love her because i'm like she knows she sucks (laughs) really she really does and she works to fix it even if she might not be going about it the most correct way Agnes, did you want to say anything? <laughs> oh, no, I was like, I was just like nodding my head to Jack because I was like, I agree with everything you say. Um, and I think I could pinpoint a lot of, like, I mean, the the whole arc of the, the school play is just basically the the yeah. foundation of Toko. That's the, that uh, for spoilers. It's the Gracie, whole foundation of why. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gracie's great. Well, I, I think they showed that uh, in the anime, actually, right? Didn't they? There's the rest of the school the rest of it yeah oh that's okay i i'm i'm fine with i'm I'm fine with these kind of spoilers i'm not okay with spoilers for like mystery or suspense because that just ruins everything but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's like the whole school arc is like a culmination and it feels like i guess like the difference between like citrus where we talk about the side character being like this really toxic person but then has like a redemption arc later doesn't mm. really fit in well because it's not integrated into the character in the first place. When you meet Toko like, yeah. in Bloom Into You, you know that there's something wrong with her because of some of the non-con things that she does do initially at the beginning that makes you feel a little bit like, mm. but at the same time, you start to hear it from other characters who know her just as well to tell you 
there's certain things that Toku does because this is how she wants to assert herself. This is how she wants to show the world like her worth. Mm. And so from that understanding, you start to, I guess, become more sympathetic and then more supportive of Toko rather than feel like she's being caged in right. a way. And uh, Grace is absolutely right to say that you has a lot of agency because she didn't have to join the student council in the first place. She doesn't always have to be Toko's support pillar because she has her friend the vice captain to do that the the vice president to do that Sayaka, right yeah yeah but in the end they can still choose who they want to support and do things even if the other person refuses to admit it kind of like in the sense of like mental health issues as well when you have people who are close enough to you that they know that something's wrong with you and they want to help mm. but you like constantly push them away that's when the pushback mm. is necessary in order to help you realize I need to work on something on myself rather than hold myself away with all these destructive thoughts and push myself off onto the edge sort right. of vibe. Yeah. So that's why I think like Bloom Into You is a great representation of that. In addition to the romantic struggle and feeling all these like intense emotions rather than Citrus, which is just, you know, feels basically porn without plot at that point. Yeah. I think that's actually a really key distinction there that a yeah. lot of the romance in Bloom Into You is, and like unsaid almost where my favorite thing about describing the story is that the drama happens between the two of them nobody externally gets in the way you have sayaka as a love you have her there she is the the third tip to the triangle of love to this love triangle she is the third person in it but she doesn't get in the way like she's she starts off as kind of like very mean and rivally to you but she's not getting in the way in the sense that she is trying to forcibly break them apart. Oh, like actual she, she sabotage has, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. she's not sabotaging them. She, ha she has her own set of problems, and you can read the light novels to enjoy the angst that is Sayaka Seiki. But um, I think that really is one of my favorite parts of it, because everything that they have to go through, all of this drama that leads them together or apart or whatever happens to them is their own problem nobody else gets in the way and i think that's why toko works so well because she has to own up to these things and she has to grow out of them or else she will never you know reach that ending that happens um, she'll never bloom into the true self yeah, i mean come on that's that's, <laughs> that's, the, a good one. that's the that's the title of the of the thing i think it it's much fancier in japanese like it, it's it hits the mark even better in japanese and like that's the same for you too haha <laughs> her name is that so, yeah, that's that's really the biggest part. Like, I love these characters so much because they feel real. And they're doing all this introspection. And any time that you and Toko talk, it is for a purpose. It is for either pushing their relationship ahead. Like, every single time they go to the friggin' bridge or, like, under the little bridge, that is a really important conversation. And my favorite one is the one where they're, they're on the steps. They're coming closer together. They meet in the middle, but they don't meet in the middle of what they're talking about. Again, perfect, perfect cinematography. Nakatani Sensei is perfect with all of that. It was such, it's, a lot of it is a one-to-one -one from the manga, so it's like, oh, it's beautiful. They meet in the middle of that river, but they're not on the same page is the most important part about that, that sort of scene. And you accept that. Like, she's just, you know, that, that whole sequence is considered to be, like, imprisoned by a word or whatever the chapter title is. And again, I think that's kind of like the overarching reason why it's such a good story, because no one's in their way. They're doing this themselves. And if they want this to work, they have to figure each other out and then figure themselves out. 
and they you know they do that <laughs> so after Bloomin to you we had some other smaller yuri anime that came out that didn't make as big of a splash as compared to either citrus or um or uh, bloom into you probably because they fall in the middle as in none of they're not like they're not like spicy <laughs> that citrus was at the beginning with the taboos but they weren't so poignant and emotional like bloom into you was they just happened to smack dab <laughs> in the middle and sometimes when you smack dab in the middle you don't get noticed as much so um but i think, I think that's fair but I do think what you're saying in regards to, like, when you're saying how every conversation matters, every dialogue that they have between them has a point, has an importance mm. to the story. I think that was, like, the biggest issue I had with Adachi and Shimamura, because I watched that one, and I also covered that anime. And I, <laughs> I, I have my issue. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of my job to do yes, that part. Yes. I keep forget. I keep forget whenever I have all these podcasts and stuff, and I'm like talking about them. Agnes or Isabel will be like, "Oh yeah, I read this." I'm like, "Right," because you guys edit my articles, and so <laughs> it's the, the entirety of Girl Pod Girl Taku is one writer and three editors at this point with Jack on board. <laughs> yeah. Um. But another one. Yeah, but there essentially, Adachi and Shimamura, which is very cute cutesy so shoujo-esque which you know is great for representation if nothing else you know um because i know some people definitely want just cutesy shoujo-esque sort of storylines but it i do i do too yes (laughs) it lacked the emotional depth that i just found in bloom into you that i couldn't find in Adachi and Shimura. And I, you probably remember this, Jack, in my essay, but I w- in my article, but I was actually a little torn because I didn't know how to feel about it. Because it's like, on one hand, these um, these critiques that I'm seeing with the story, which is, you know, conversations that really don't extend the plot. You know, their, re- their relationship technically at the end of the series only like went forward a little, but not really, is sort of critiques that shoujo stories and romance stories as a whole Mm -hmm. tend to have and so it's like on one hand it's like is it wrong that they follow this generic romance storyline but they actually focus it on a lesbian couple this time like isn't that good because that's the romance storyline formula that a lot of people like and they finally get representation for it or should we want better, you know? Like, do you, like, I'm really curious because that is still very much a thing that I remain conflicted on in regards to yeah. Adachi and Shimamura. Yeah. So, hard dis well, not even a hard disclaimer, but I'll, I'll straight up tell you this, that, okay, don't get me wrong, love cute girls doing cute things, one of my favorite genres, K-On's a great anime, hands down, one of my favorites. There's a difference between cute girls doing cute things and a romance story. There's nothing wrong with a slow burn romance, but it needs to burn, first off. Like, there needs to be something happening, even if it is the slowest thing ever. Um, And I, again, I'm mostly a manga reader, and I did give Arashima so many shots, and I really couldn't get past, like, chapter 10. I don't know what that equates to in the anime, but I remember looking at the anime list and being like, ooh, it's there. Cool. (laughs) Uh, And then not touching it. (laughs) <laughs> For that exact reason where it's like, um, I gave it a shot. I really like slow burn romance. Like, Bloom Into You is a slow burn romance. It's just really dramatic. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Arashima didn't do it for me. And, like, there are plenty of slow burn manga I've seen. Like, uh, A Room for Two is 
technically a slow burn romance e thing, but it's mostly a slice of life. But I, I'd eat that up, and it's it has it does less things than Adashima does, but it still captured my attention. Mm. So I, I guess it's like the relationship they have didn't feel special enough for me to keep wanting to see what new turn it would have because from again those 10 maybe 15 chapters i read it didn't feel like it didn't feel like things were turning it kind of just felt like a straight line almost that's actually what it is it is a straight line and it's like and it's fun (laughs) it's interesting because this is my first time seeing the source material aware of that fact so that was the other thing that threw me a curveball because the actual dialogue itself has like this metaphor where they moved seats because it was a new year, so they had new seat assignments. And um, essentially, the way that they were positioned was different, but the distance was about the same. And, I, and obviously, that was essentially a metaphor to their relationship. Like it's changed, but they haven't. But where they are per se is still the same. And so it's just so that was just an interesting thing for me because I I love the dialogue, you know, I was like, that's like, it's very beautiful writing, you know, like kind of like writing style wise. But I'm like, I don't know if that's like good for a plot, even if it is self aware, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, I, I guess if they know they're doing it, then it's fine, but it's not going to pique my interest. Um, and fun fact, the, the Saika Seiki light novels are written by the author of Arashima. So I, I can, again, I didn't read, I didn't read the light novels of Arashima, but I did read the Saika Seiki ones and those ones, a lot does happen without anything really happening. So I can definitely see how that's the case in mm. you know, the series. Okay. That's really interesting. Really good light novel if you like Saika though. So <laughs> definitely read it if you like her. If you don't, then you can just pretend she suffers without a happy end. I don't know why you would do that. She's a great character. <laughs> I personally love. Somehow her. I brought it back. Somehow I brought it back to Bloom into you. How did I do that? I <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's I'm, your Nate Tullet. I'm here to move things along. Agnes will let you know that I always move things along. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, with these particular anime, um, I am kind of curious to hear, like, what do you think about the fandom? Because uh, we did have a segment in the other episode, once again, the counterpart episode, where we talked about our views on the fandom itself mm. and our experience with it. So um, so I really want to hear yours. And Agnes, if you interact with this fandom at all, also, you know, please feel free to share. Because I will say right off the bat that I don't really interact with this fandom and this, like, Yuri community, per se. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, do I, I don't really interact with in terms of like, do I talk to a lot of, like the people I talk to are literally just other anime trending members and you can bug Medi about this all you want, but we get into rabbit hole conversations about literally everything. <laughs> Some of them, in, including Yuri like things. So both of us are really big fans of Bushiroad uh, Company's stuff, which includes Bang Dream, D4DJ, Review Starlight. You're welcome, Medi. I mentioned Review Starlight, which... Fun fact, <laughs> that came out the same year that Citrus, Banana Fish, and uh, Bloom Into You did. So a lot of queer stuff going on that year for some reason, and then it just kind of like, poof. Um, so yeah, we, we talk a lot about this, and again, my experience will be limited to these couple of individuals, but as someone who did spend a lot of time on Tumblr back in the day, mm. you <laughs> shippers, whether Yuri or not, but at least from my perspective, definitely Yuri shipping, We'll find literally anything to make something a ship, right? We will do that in literally everything. 
and Shonen is probably the best place to look at it. I'm a big Momojiro shipper. Please fight me if you want to. I, I accept your battle for anything being better in My Hero Academia. Um, but, like, you find it as much as you can. And I think a lot of shippers do that. And I think that a lot of these stories kind of play into that. Like, everything in Bang Dream probably expanded on cute girls doing cute things mm-hmm. and then made it kind of almost dreary, but not really, just so the fan base can eat it up. And... I like I I don't mind that because I'm just like I'll I, it's, shoot I'll just write fan fiction if you want me to. <laughs> make it, I'll make it myself. Uh, to be fair, D4 DJ has this really. I'm gonna say that it's canon, and I will argue that it's canon, but people will fight me on that. I'm sure, but that's something else. Review Starlight, something else. We should have an episode about Review Starlight. Uh, would be so I proud. will not be able to participate in that, but I'm sure you we and will Betty make can you go ready. At it. We will make you ready. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. So I, I think that it's important to keep your fan base in mind and the yuri fan again i i think that they kind of just act as any other shipping fan base do where it's like you look for the thing that's probably not there and you ship the heck out of it and hope that someone somewhere makes something out of it and i don't think that that's a bad thing and in terms of sort of any fetishization of these characters i have seen that in fan art of sort of the cute girls genre, which I suppose is to be expected. But a lot of the people that I follow on Twitter or have seen in various Discord servers and stuff seem really respectful about it and are just like legitimately interested to see really cute shipping, you know, pairs come together who happen to be girls. That's how I would put it, at least. Maybe they want to ship it because it's girls, but I like shipping it because it's queer media and it makes me happy, right? Like... That's how I view it, and I like to think that other queer people are probably like, oh, that's cool, I want that to be a thing because it's gay. Like, that's, uh, it's just one-track mind at that point. I'm just like, I'm a one-track mind kind of shipper. (laughs) If it's gay, I will, like, probably like it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so that leads to me to my second question, because I think, I think it's well without question that in the Yuri fandom itself, we've also got a lot of straight guys and so, oh, for sure. <laughs> okay, like, are they just separate in your mind from the people that you interact with or see or follow? Like, what are your thoughts on them? Because I, I will say that for a fact of someone who has to moderate the social posts, I oh, will yeah, definitely yeah. see the same profiles of guys absolutely being like, this is romance, this is romantic. And in fact, their comments on, like, posts in regards to lesbian couples aren't even, I don't even think they're fetishizing them. They're literally saying, like, this is so cute, this is romance, you know, this is love sort of thing. Yeah. But then turn it around on a gay couple and, you know, to no one's surprise, are suddenly very homophobic and very much against it. And so it's like, what yeah. are your thoughts on it's that? It's so weird. Oh, for sure. Um, and I'll start off with the whole, what do I think of the straights part? I'm co- I'm kidding. That's going to be a <laughs> conversation. But as, as, again, so as someone you, who plays... I, I'll have you know you are outnumbered here. So. <laughs> I am. Oh, boy. Ouch. That hurts. What a time to be a minority. Oh, oh no. The guy on a girl podcast. I can't believe it. Um, so as someone who plays the Bushi Road Gotcha games, 100% you can tell who the audience is. Like, there are cards that are very sexy that high schoolers probably shouldn't be drawn as, right? The the whole, these things appeal to men, straight men, presumably, still exist. And I think Medi put it best where he's like, he really liked, I, I don't play Rebu- uh, Relive, but he put it best when he said he liked this sort of set of cards 
because it it seemed like in real time, A Team, the developers of those games, were finding out that the audience actually really likes princely girls and not the hypersexualized ones. And I was like, good for you, Revue Starlight, really hitting that uh hitting that mark right. So I guess it just depends on the source material. Like Bang Dream was meant for the cute girls type of community and it still appeals to it the cards aren't that sexy because high school girls and good they shouldn't be and then in terms of sort of anime watchers just saying it genuinely as oh i like this because it's romantic i love that like i i think that the most important part about queer media and something that i greatly dislike about western media is that they need to normalize it it just i don't i care that it is gay but i'm, I'm mostly interested in it becoming a normal thing rather than needing a coming out story or needing the whole genre entirely. Like, I shouldn't have to go to the Yuri tag or the Yaoi tag or whatever gay tag you want to pull up to find a good gay romance in a thing. Like, one of the greatest things I think would be is to grab one of these mainstream anime and to respectfully and properly design a, a gay story in it without highlighting the fact that they are like just make them gay period Mm -hmm. and i think that hopefully the comments at least on the the girls love ones are genuine from that point of view where it's like this seems like a really nice romance i can say however that there is kind of a weird point of view where for lesbianism and this comes up in a lot of yuri manga i've read where oh they're just playing games until they graduate from high school that literally happens to sayaka in bloom into you and that seems to be a normal point of view that a lot of people in real life have of lesbian romance of gay romance too but like it seems to be specifically for you know girls dating each other that oh they're just playing games later they'll settle for a guy like and that's that is a huge problem so that could be where some of those feelings come from, where the same person can say, oh, that's really cute. And then on the other hand, if it's two guys, it's like, oh, what the heck? What, what's the point? So that might yeah. be it. Who knows? There's a, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because actually that is a literature trend that existed in Japan, which is why it propagates a lot of these like Ooh. Yuri stories to be. So this is another history point. <laughs> no, go oh, ahead. I, I'm just cringing a lot of, because it's bad, but go. This is important. You know? It's bad, yeah, because uh, it spurs a lot of like it spurs a lot of like lesbian media in Japan of what it is now. Um, so what happens is around the turn of the century, in the 20th century, there was a genre that came out that was called Class S, it, it, uh, specifically for lesbian literature not so much manga and anime because it wasn't present during the time the s stands for sister or shoujo and it describes like the emotional connection between girls but it also highlights that weird period of adolescence called lesbian until graduation Uh. so a lot of the s class genre to actually not surprisingly that influences a lot of lesbian media today in japan takes place in high school, and what's more important, <laughs> takes place in an all-girls academy institution. Oh, of course. We're all <laughs> so that's the only place. Of course, right? We're, that's the only right? place it would ever come up. <laughs> we're, right? Not like not even a normal society where you know two women who are working different companies meet up or something. God, I want no. Give me it has more to OL be. media. Give me more. Yeah, give, give me more, more OL media. More OL Yuri, come on. <laughs> I like come Jose. On, you I want my Jose. Give me that Jose, <laughs> right? But yeah, that's where a lot of like the all-girls institution comes up. A lot of like the Yuri aspects come out of and it was popular before world war ii 
that it was tampered down quite a bit afterwards with American intervention. Uh, of course. Japanese. <laughs> Japanese. Uh, of yes. course, you know, Japanese. Japanese. The Americans yes, are America again. suck. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, you know, like, Japanese government becoming more conservative. Mm. And it didn't really kick off again until the 1990s when the Yuri series uh, Maria Watches Over Us or Maria-sama ga miteru mm. came about. And that's when people were just like, oh, let's kind of, like, feed into that that, that queer Yuri bait of, like, girls. Oh, kind is. of like how, like... Mm, there's uh, the bait, crazy. yeah. <laughs> the bait, right? The bait of, like, you know, these cute girls doing cute things. They're so, so close. But they must be ripped apart out of their high school bubble to, like, go get married, go pursue a job or whatever. Right. And it's just like, you don't have to really do that. <laughs> you really don't have to. You can still be queer. You can still be gay. You can still go out in the world and do great things. Right. But you don't have to, like, shove that part away and part of your life. Because it's part of you. It's part of you growing up. Um, and I guess I want to highlight, like, it's the same way when it goes for, like, any queer media in general. Like, you don't have to push that away. And so that whole thing is, like, of the Yuri genre being so cemented in that school setting mm. and how people keep portraying it. It's probably going to take a while until they grow out of it. Yeah. Until they start more highlighting oh, things well. outside more, of more. Oh well. More, oh, well. <laughs> well, no, I actually think like I don't think because some people are like, oh, look at how close these two girl characters are. Like that's all I ever wanted and needed. And you know, maybe I don't have or I really don't have skin in the game because I identify on the ace scale um, personally. Mm. So it's not like I do feel sexual attraction towards particularly anyone, uh, even though mm. I simp characters but those are for different reasons and agnes you will not say a word you will not say a word <laughs> um but essentially i see your face <laughs> anyway um but essentially the important thing i need to point out is a lot of people sort of hand wave um lesbianism because of the fact that girls are more openly affectionate towards each other right. and i yeah. do want to say that Yes, I I don't know how guys act with each other, but I will say that me with my friends, my girlfriends who I'm very very close to, we are very affectionate with each other. We have right. we go shopping together, we cuddle together, um we play with each other's hair, we hug each other all the time. And so and for and I just think if you if you just do that and show that between two female characters and I just don't think that's enough. To like, mm. I think if especially for lesbian couples, like you just have to make it explicit because of the fact that there are lots and lots and hundreds and thousands of girl groups out there who act exactly like that, who are not at all romantically interested in each other. And is like, especially for me as someone who identifies on the ace scale, I'm definitely not romantically interested in any of my close girlfriends, but I love the heck out of them. And I almost cuss, but I love the heck out of them. And I do all these things that Japanese media or anime tends to use as supposed queer bait. And mm. I think it makes it really confusing at the same time, because something else we have to keep in mind is cultural context. Um, in the U.S., it's a lot more individualistic. In Asia as a whole, whether it's China or Japan, it's a lot more collectivism and focused on community base. And so even at a young age, I, like, want people to know us because I, you know, beating a dead horse at this point, but I'm Chinese. I am full-blooded Chinese. <laughs> so, um, like, I consumed Asian media my entire life up until I went to school, which is why I went into school without speaking a speck of English. But, um, but the thing I wanted to point out is collectivism is very apparent in 
Asian media with its extreme emphasis on platonic relationships because platonic relationships matter 10 times more when you live in the when when you live grow up in a culture where community is everything rather than who you are individually. And I think Western media or Western people had a hard time understanding that when they see two guys really close or two girls really close, they kind of automatically thought like it has to be romantic. But the thing is, it's not, especially in Asian, in Asian context, it's not. In fact, that is very much platonic. And that sort of close platonic, like platonicness is well sought out and well praised in Asian, in Asian cultures as well. And so, um, and so because of, and so that's why for me, like in media, like I think like just showing girls, like being super close to each other where they cuddle and they're like up in each other's faces and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that's enough for I think they need to make it explicit I think like they need to just state it out and so that's sort of and I think and like that just feeds into the whole like thought now like even more greater thought now that Agnes you've mentioned that that there's apparently a whole genre of like girls being like I will I like will dabble in lesbianism in high school but then now I'm not magically you know and so which I'm also like bi people exist by the way like this is not what I would think about this and so um and so it's just mm. like so yeah so that's like my whole spiel on this whole new thing that I just found out right now so yeah essentially Authors, mangakas, studio writers, producers, they just need to stop being cowards and show us yes. the true yes. <laughs> the true gay content. That's it. They need to stop being cowards and play along that class S genre of over oh, lesbians, JK, I just graduated, I'm straight again. It's like, come on, dudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that's totally fair. Yeah, you're you're totally fair in seeing things that way too. Um I think the only thing I would note is I think it's an important to, to draw a line between the distinction of explicitly showing a thing or just letting us know beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's because mm, there's a, a an interesting problem, more of a societal one that I've seen of, you know, with my own identity as being a trans person. I just outed myself there. It's not even outed. It's just me being clear about that, um, that queer people shouldn't have to say things if they don't want to. And I think that's also an interesting problem in media because it's like when there is a speck of doubt, and again, that D4DG event comes up where you can technically put a speck of doubt into it if you were homophobic enough, um, that if there is a doubt, somebody somewhere will be like, oh, well, then it's not uh, then it's not gay or lesbian. They're just really good friends. Whereas if you kind of look at the media itself, it probably is romantic. And I think that's fair, too, with saying that we do have different levels of what romantic looks like. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it is important to think about requiring explicitness, I think, because I'm someone who's just like, oh, if it's low, again, I will bring up like if you put some gay relationship into mainstream media and you let it be kind of under the radar, but also it's there, but very clearly there, but no one points out that it's gay. That's the kind of very clearly without a shadow of a doubt type of thing that I would be hoping for, um, you know, in media moving forward. Yeah. And then I guess like slowly transition from there into something that's more normal. Yeah. In a sense, like it's, right? to me, it's just all about normalizing a lot of this. And then on the flip side of what Gracie said, like it's very normal for her and her friends to do all of these things that we see as romantic, but very platonic for women or like, they're just, 
you know, let let guys be not like don't let guys feel ashamed for being quote unquote feminine. Yes, like feeling mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. ways like people feel emotions. Let them feel their emotions. Like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that where I think the other issue is that when guys start feeling emotions in things, they're like, ah, there's the gay because they felt oh, a thing. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it, it's just, it's painfully annoying because I consider myself to be fairly feminine for various reasons, obviously. But just just normalize these things like platonic hugs are good and another thing too is like western westerners romanticize everything i don't i can't think of many platonic relationships very rarely yeah very rarely so it is um yeah it's a weird thing to tread on because then i i am in the in the group that would just be like it'd be cooler if you did go out of your way to say that something is this or that but also also like kind of feeding it to the audience like spoon feeding it to the audience also doesn't feel like the correct answer like the correct definitive answer mm-hmm. um i guess to kind of expose it and kind of push it there then yes but i again like normalization and whatever the heck that means that's the way that i would yeah. hope it moves forward well that is a good way <laughs> to end our episode actually because um you know, it's like you said, I definitely hope that we do see more sort of bloom into you level of uh, Yuri anime come to light and come to mm. uh, in stories, which from my understanding, bloom into you is actually the best. So yeah. <laughs> it's a little uh, hard to beat, but maybe something in my close. Opinion, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, the manga I really like so far is Crescent Moon and Donuts. That's a good one. That one's OLs. So... If they make an anime of that, I would be really happy. Oh, uh, I, I think yeah. the title even sounds cute. <laughs> it's really good. It, there's a lot of internalized homophobia, so it's a little on the nose. But like, that's a good one if you are looking for a good one to read. And if you want to read, if you want to watch something, I didn't get to mention this one, but please watch Review Starlight. That is queer coded as heck. Sorry, as heck. <laughs> that's queer coded as heck. Um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> and uh, I've said a lot worse on this, on this podcast, so you're yes, okay. Yeah, but so, I yeah, have to censor words. Oh my god, you all are incredible. Yeah, yeah so watch <laughs> Review Starlight. Medi would would never let me live it down if I didn't mention Review Starlight in a in a Yuri podcast. Uh, god, it's just disaster lesbians on stage. There's a giraffe. It's a lot. It's really good. Please watch that one. <laughs> I wish I could have talked about it, but you know what? We're out of time, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for joining and listening to us, and thank you, Jack, for joining us <laughs> yeah. today. Hopefully, we'll have you back for whatever other episodes, yeah. maybe a Review Starlight episode in the future, for all we know. Let me know if you liked my voice, or send me pitchforks if you absolutely hated my time here. I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> We will defend you with uh, our yes, lives. Yes, we will. Sure. We will. Yeah. Oh, so gracious. you guys will have the pitchforks. Yes. Got it. Oh, <laughs> we'll use the pitchforks. And- uh, I'll, 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 I'll be the tank for next time. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all, and I hope you will join us next time. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.